Okay, this morning is Sunday morning. It is March 18th. Our message this morning is Rephidim. That is a place. It's a place that Israel encountered on their journey from Egypt into the Promised Land. Rephidim. Okay, y'all got our title, got our date? David will be writing for me this morning on the board, but not yet, Dave. I just, I thought he looked so good this morning with his suit and tie on that uh, we'd have to use him as our male version of Vanna White. He'll be up there putting the letters on the board. (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay, in Exodus 17, starting in the first verse, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. If this is beginning to sound strangely familiar, that's because aside from your vast biblical studies that you're engaged in day and night in your own houses, right? Yeah, Yeah, amen. You've heard this preached about the last few weeks. Last week was a rock in a hard place. How God takes water straight out of the hard places in your life for refreshment. You heard about it when Usto said that your fight is what gives you life. You heard about this when Matthew preached about great expectations the week before that, how the Israelites quarreled in this place. And I'm going to recap it just a little bit for you to get a refresher. Not that you didn't read it yesterday and the day before, and I'm sure you've been meditating deeply on this Word, letting it get in your spirit and change your life, right? I'm not supposed to be sarcastic when I preach, huh? then what would be left, right? (laughs) Come on now. So they're at Rephidim. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. That's pretty mad, isn't it? They have a basic need that's not being met. And immediately, instead of trusting in God and trusting in the leaders that God has put in their life to instruct them, they want to stone the representative of God, Moses, and they're angry with God for bringing them out of Egypt, right? Hmm. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. The staff with which you struck the Nile. Not just any staff. The same staff that you've seen miraculous things happen with in the past. Those of you that have heard me teach before about a staff, do you remember what it had written on it? A shepherd's staff had a record of the major events in his life. Much like a little kid might carve things in... Well, when I was little, I had the bed that Judah has now. I have people's names carved in the side of my bed and dates and things that I sat around and goofed off and did with a pocket knife. Right? Well, a shepherd carried his staff with him everywhere. And so when his children were born, he might put a notch in it. When he found a wife... He might put a notch in it. He might put things in it that were worth remembering so that in times of trouble, he could lean on the deeds from the past that God had delivered him and it would give him strength in his present circumstances. What staff did Moses take with him? The same staff with which he struck the Nile. The same staff with which he stretched out and split the Red Sea. This staff represents the kind of faith that God wants from people the righteous requirements of the law, if you will. The very thing that all of God's instruction points at is this staff that we hold up. This lifestyle that says, I trust God and my deeds show it. That thing He's taking to go and strike a rock. Right? I will go and stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of all of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Masa and Meribah. Masa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. Because the Israelites quarreled and they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? We talked about this last week. The problem is that God puts us between a rock 
and a hard place. He does this, the Word says, to show other people that God is with us. But when the people of God forget that He's with us, the message is messed up. They're between a rock and a hard place. God says, I want you to take the righteous standards of your life, the very object or symbol of faithful deeds lived out consistently. I want you to go hit that hard place, that rock, and life-giving water will come. And the whole point was to show that God was with them. Now, it's interesting that rock, Paul says, is Jesus. He says it in Corinthians 10.4. He says, that rock is Jesus. What's so funny about this same rock is it shows up in different locations. <laughs> Don't know how, quite how that happened, whether they dug it up and carried it with them <laughs> or whether it followed them, you know? In the 70s, pet rocks were popular. <laughs> Israel had a rock that Paul calls a spiritual rock and says that it followed them. Now, I bring all of this up to get to one point about Rephidim, and then we'll move on. Rephidim means the resting place. The resting place seems inviting. If I could just get some rest. Being weary, all you think you need is just, man, if I could just get to a place where it was not so hard for a moment. If I could just get some room to breathe. This is where you find all of your quarreling. This is where you find all of your testing with the Lord. When you are tired and weak and looking for a place to rest, you know who else saw this quarreling with God? There's an enemy and he's looking for who he might devour. He saw what went on at the resting place. He saw how they put the Lord to the test. What is it truthfully that they rested from? Were they sleeping? They rested from trusting in God. It takes such hard work. It's by the sweat of your brow you eat your food. Remember that? Jesus said His food was to do the will of God. It's hard work to trust God in every circumstance. They gave up. They said, I'm tired of trusting God. I've been doing it and it doesn't work. And the enemy saw that opportunity. So verse 8 the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Saints, it is no mistake that the enemy attacks them in this place. It is no mistake, not by any long shot, that the enemy comes against them at this point. You want to find out where you are vulnerable? You are vulnerable when you decide that you are too tired. It is just too hard to do it God's way. So you're going to coast for a while. That will not work. In fact, you bring upon yourself quarreling and strife and the object of rest that you wanted, you never obtain. You end up more wearied, more frustrated than you were to begin with. And Amalek knows this. Put your finger in Exodus 17 and turn with me to Deuteronomy 25. I want you to hear this. Good, good. Fast Bible people, they're there. In Deuteronomy 25, listen to what God says about this. He gets pretty darn angry with Amalek because He cares. He cares about you. Everybody there? 25, verse 17. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. Hey, what are we followers of? The way. The man named Jesus has shown us the way which we should walk. The man named Jesus' very lifestyle is the way in which we walk. They got tired along the way. You understand? When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Did you hear that? Who did they come and cut off? Everybody who was lagging behind. Saints, if the church could get this revelation. The Amalekites, their very name means warlike. Why do you think Satan used them? Their name means warlike valley dwellers. Do you understand that? When you're on the mountaintop with God, Amalek will not deal with you. He doesn't want a black eye. He waits for you to start to slide. For you to get off of that mountaintop for a place where you go, you know, this life is just so hard. 
You know, a little rest, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Spiritual poverty comes on you like a bandit and Amalek is right there waiting to take advantage of you. He knows that he won't get the leaders in the pack. By leaders, I don't mean people with positions. I mean those who are walking in the way and will not let up. Those who resolutely set out in the way for God. Hebrews says, set their face like flint. Who's he looking for? Now, when you think about that, you say, oh, well, the laggers, who are they? Oh, those are the people that come to church on Christmas and Easter, or, you know, the twice-a-year crowd. Saints, they're not even in the congregation. Alright, let's, let's just be honest, okay? Oh, he's talking about those people who never go to church. No, no, not at all. He's talking about those who have been bought, redeemed, or actually a part of Israel there every day in Israel, and yet lagging behind. How about that? Now who are we talking about? Mm. Ouch! Yeah, take off your sandals, put on steel toes. That hurts, huh? Amalek is looking for who lags behind. First Peter 5.8 Anybody know what it says offhand? Seeking whom he may devour says, be aware, your enemy, the devil, he roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter had a couple things in mind when he's writing this. Peter is somebody who was born and bred in Israel. Somebody who's raised on the stories of Israel. Somebody who's filled with the knowledge of the Torah. He remembered that in 2 Kings 17, lions were roaming through Israel because the people didn't know what the God of the land required. They had to seek God, find out what His requirements for their life were. They had a priest come and instruct them, and then the lions stopped. That's first and foremost what he had in his mind. But written in the mind of every Israelite, from this point in Exodus forward, was the memory of Amalek. God said, write it on a scroll. You tell Joshua and tell all the people. Never, ever forget what Amalek did. And what did Amalek do? He came and tried to waylay those who were lagging behind. Peter combining two biblical thoughts. When people don't know what God requires, when they lag behind because they don't know, they are a big target for the enemy. And he says, you watch out for this. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be aware of the devil's schemes. Saints, a little insight into what the devil is looking for will arm you. It will make you strong to sit back and go, Oh, well, it doesn't really matter whether I go to church this evening, whether I go to church this morning. Hey, I can catch it on the webcast. That won't happen. That's for our out-of-towners. <laughs> oh, it's no problem. My wife will take good notes. Oh, uh, you know... I only got six hours of sleep or eight hours or ten or twelve or sixteen, whatever it is that people sleep. You have no idea that what you think you're doing, let's just examine it. Oh yeah, you might make your flesh a little bit stronger. And what do you struggle with? Oh, that's right. Mm. Saints, if you have the opportunity to choose spiritual nourishment or physical nourishment, take the spiritual every single time. Every time. On that note, Let's go ahead and turn to John. In John, the fourth chapter. You can still keep your finger in Exodus. We will go back there. Now, I gave you a hint because I told you John, the fourth chapter. There is only one time in all of the Bible that Jesus is mentioned as being tired. To give you the background... The times in John are recorded in Roman time. It's my personal belief that when this story in the fourth chapter is recorded, what has happened is Jesus and His disciples have marched all the way through the night from a distance to get to this place. When they get there in the morning, they are very hungry. And Jesus is tired. And He sends His disciples into town to buy food. Look at chapter 4, verse... 6, 4, verse 4, 4, 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. 
And Jesus was tired. And he was from, as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Personally, I think this is 6 a.m. They've traveled through the night, but please don't get hung up on that. What happens at this well? Jesus is tired, right? It's pastor's day off. I mean, don't call him. Don't email him. Don't stop by and knock. He's tired, right? This is the very passage. Look at the 34th verse. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. I want you to get this. He is physically tired. He gets to the well. He sends His disciples. Go find food to eat. They go into town. They come back. What do they find Jesus doing? They find Him ministering, prophesying, telling this woman all about her life, pouring Himself out for her. What you do when you're tired will determine whether or not you are successful in the kingdom. You know what's funny? They came back carrying physical food. There's no mention of Jesus eating it. Instead, He said, Guys, my food's to do the will of Him who sent me. When you have the opportunity to choose between physical nourishment and spiritual nourishment, you must train yourself to take spiritual nourishment. You're going to eat physically and be hungry again in a few hours. It won't last at all. But what you get in the presence of God will sustain you in the darkest place. And I want to be honest, saints. You know, we watch these Survivor Man series. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Guy is in Africa, right? He's been there one day, and he's talking about how tired and dehydrated he would be. Right? A little bit of a show. I mean, they got cameramen all around him filming him, right? Nobody's got a bottle of water? But anyway, he finds elephant dung. He picks it up above his head and squeezes it and drinks the moisture from an animal's droppings. That was funny, wasn't it, Judah? Horrible, horrible television. And you know what kept striking me while I was watching it other than, wow, look, those pieces are hitting him in the face. When somebody is physically hungry or thirsty, look what they'll do to get nourishment. Saints, we have got to learn to be that way spiritually. And God doesn't require you to do something nasty. He requires you to do what you were created to do. Anywhere you are, at any time, you can hit your knees or stand to your feet or dance and raise your arms to God and receive water in your hollow place. We serve the God who is a master at taking water right out of a rock if need be. He's been doing it forever. But when you just are weary, you're going to test the Lord and see if it's okay if you take the day off from living out spiritual principles. You'll go ahead and quarrel with somebody because it is just so hard to restrain the flesh and get this right. Amalek is watching you. He's looking for people who lag behind. He wants to put you in a situation where you're overwhelmed with guilt from what you've done, where you're overwhelmed by His attack and you are cut off from the people. God sees it though. He sees every bit of it. We serve a God who wants to renew our strength. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Am I hitting the right message here this morning? Saints, our church is starting to flex its young muscles. We're helping people. We are loving people. We're stretching out into new areas. We had testimony night at the Mogul meeting. And it was beautiful to see all of the testimonies pouring forward. One of the things that I like the most is people that don't normally share certain aspects of their lives did. They're growing. They're stretching. I told everybody at the Mogul meeting, men, we are at a phase in our church's life where when you get a hunch and you think, wow, I've been thinking about Gabriel today or I've been thinking about Patricia today, don't just sit on your hunches. Call people. Our hunches are no longer our own. The Spirit of God is living in us and we need to encourage one another. We don't want anyone to lag behind. i got to quit watching Discovery Channel with Judah, but we watched these people being attacked by sharks the other night. Right? I think it was the USS Indianapolis. So many hundred men went in the water and not very many made it out. The sharks didn't eat the ones in the center. Friends, push yourself so far into Christ that the enemy would have to go through Him to get to you. But as long as you hang out on the edges, Loving Him sometimes, not other times. Doing it when it's easy, but not when it's hard. 
You are a sitting duck for the enemy and you will whine your whole lives and say, everybody's blessed with me. Why do I struggle so? Why is everything so hard? Because you live in Rephidim. But even in Rephidim, there is an answer. There is help. Let me read you something out of Isaiah 40 that blessed my heart. Starting in the 27th verse. Why do you say... Tell me when you're in the 27th verse. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from Yahweh, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. What do you do when you're weary, saints? Stretch out to Him. What do you do when you feel like you don't have enough power? Stretch out to Him. He has an unlimited supply. And He's just looking for people who will receive it. The flesh tells us just the opposite. It's too much work to go and worship. It is too hard to open the Word. I get tired every time I read it. How many times have I heard this stuff? Saints, look at your flesh and say, Shack it. That's Hebrew for shut up! Look at your flesh and say, Dirt, get down! Feed your spirit and the flesh will follow. You are not a brute beast. You are not a carnal animal led about by its instincts. Those instincts will put you in the grave. We are a spirit that happens to live in a body and you have authority over your body. The same way I have authority over my own house. If I don't like this wall, I knock it down and build another one. Saints, we need to do some spiritual house cleaning. The things that are in your life that are not of God, beat them into shape. When your flesh is in submission to your spirit, that spirit is who you are, you are walking right with God. The battle is usually won or lost in the mind. You know what is right. You know that in your spirit. But your flesh wants something else. And the mind sits there and reasons out the pros and cons. You better pull your mind into your spirit and put your flesh into subjection. Amalek is looking for people that are caught like a deer in the headlights. Should I follow God or not? Should I follow God or not? I, I know He told me this, but it's just so hard to trust Him. I love that Jason Upton song. What reason did He ever give you to doubt Him? As you read this story about Him, is it the story of how God failed His people over and over and over? It's not, is it? We have more than 1,600 years of Israel's history written down here for you. We have 4,000 years of human history written down here for you, all speaking one loud message. He won't let you down. So if you're entertaining those thoughts, where did they come from? They come from spending too much time at Rephidim. Too much time just looking, I'm weary, I need to rest. Galatians 6 tells us, hey, don't you sow to the flesh. Because if, if you do not give up, you will reap a proper time at the harvest. Don't grow weary in doing what is good. For if you do not give up, you will reap a harvest at the proper time. The enemy's trying one thing, to outlast you. He trusts in himself that if He puts enough obstacles in your way, you will eventually give up. He can't stop you. But if He can slow you down and make it hard enough to where you'll quit and stop yourself, I don't want to be that. We serve a God. Saints, this is a verse we're circling. Verse 29, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. What God do we serve? The one that strengthens you when you're weary. That gives power to you when you are weak. Next time the words, I'm so tired, come out of your mouth, think about this. We don't serve a God who does it once. He does it over and over and over. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I'm not saying that it's sin to get tired. I'm saying that it is sin to stay there. Your strength is in the Lord. You can't feed the flesh enough to make it happy. You can't sleep enough to feel rested. Come on, think about the last ten years of your life. 
or five or one year. You tell me when you felt good five days in a row when the alarm clock went off. I don't know where you've been sleeping if that you got that select comfort bed, huh? Every morning when I get out of if I got out of bed at ten o'clock, my flesh would say a little longer. A little longer. In fact, every morning you want to see the bridge between the spirit and the flesh, that mind working to reconcile the two. Every morning the alarm goes off. My very first thought huh, I could drive faster and get to work. Sleep a little longer. I bet I could shower quicker. What could I bypass? I don't have to eat. I just need to sleep. Right? Hit the snooze button. Then it goes off again. And what happens? Well, if I get coffee at Starbucks and don't make it, I saved another few minutes. The great battle starts every day. Well, that's natural sleep. Saints, I'm talking about a situation where you're put on the spot. Do I trust or do I not? And the same battle is going on there and Amalek is watching from a distance. He's looking for the place where you are weak so he can cut you off. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar. He will elevate you out of your circumstances, friends, like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. He will cause you to outpace your enemy. Elijah was probably old and fat when he did it, but he tucked his cloak in his belt and outran chariots because he needed to for God. I use that one every time I want to speak. It's a problem with being a pastor. You know how to justify sin in your own life. What I'm trying to tell you, though, saints, is if you cry out to God, He will elevate you out of your circumstances. He will accelerate you beyond the enemy that is pursuing you. He's God. He can do it. We're looking for strength and nourishment in the wrong place. You can't take enough vitamins to make you feel good on the inside. They will walk and will not be faint. Friends, we are walking in the way. We are supposed to be walking in the way that Jesus walked. Put away those weary thoughts. Clarence Carter, Otis Redding, huh? He said, just put a new dress on. It'd be fine. The young girls, only Patricia knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, sorry. Is Otis? Yeah. Sorry, that was a little non-biblical aside. I know y'all don't even know who Otis Redding is because you only listen to choir music. <laughs> Let's go back to Exodus 17. Get me back on track here. <laughs> Hallelujah! In Exodus 17, starting in the 8th verse, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Wow! Moses said to Joshua, David, you're going to write here now. So yeah, if you'll walk up here. This is the first mention of Joshua in all of the Bible. Moses said to Joshua, got to find it again. It's off my page. Nine. Choose some men and go out to fight the Amalekites. The first time Joshua is mentioned and his name is the Hebrew of Jesus. The first time the word Yahweh's salvation in a name, Yehoshua, also pronounced Yeshua, appears, is when he says, choose some men. So number one, Joshua, choose some men. Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Second time Joshua is mentioned, verse 10. This will be number two. So Joshua fought. Joshua fought. We'll hang on to that third one for a minute. The first time that the word Yahweh's salvation, that is Jesus' name, appears in the Bible, what is He doing? He is choosing men to prepare for war. I'm sorry, how was Jesus announced in the Gospels? Wasn't He looking for disciples? Men that He could train for battle, preparing them for war? When God appeared to Paul, then called Saul, what did He say? This is My chosen instrument. Right? You all remember those things? God has been drafting people for this battle for a long, long time. 
The first step in fighting with these warlike valley dwellers is choosing the right men. I'm sorry, church. What were we called? A nation of priests, a chosen people. He drafted you for this battle. Are you fighting in it? Are you sitting in Rephidim looking for a place to rest? You were not called to rest. You were called to be at war with your flesh first and the power of the enemy second. Do you understand that? You are a soldier. Paul told Timothy, no soldier concerns himself with civilian affairs. Instead, he's looking to please him who enlisted him into the army. Saints, our whole lives are supposed to be about fighting this battle correctly. Why would we look for a place to rest? Look at First Thessalonians. Keep your finger here. First Thessalonians 1. All your T's are together in the New Testament. That will help you get there. There. Girls fast. First Thessalonians 1. Verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because of our gospel, which came to you not simply with words. Oh my God, I wish we could say this about churches. The gospel that was not merely a matter of words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Have you noticed how easily people cast their convictions aside. I believe this, I believe that, I believe this, I believe that. The moment testing or trial or suffering for their convictions come, they quickly depart from them. Since this cannot be us, our convictions have to go deep down to the center of us. There has to be a place in you where you've drawn a line in the sand and said this is not up for discussion anymore. I simply will not view this. I will not look at this. I will not listen to this because the God whom I serve has said, no, it's not good for me. I will not feast on flesh anymore. I'm a spiritual human being. Somewhere in you has got to be a line that you draw and say, Amalek will not have its way with me anymore. When Joshua first appears, he's choosing people. He's examining them. He's looking for the right people. Since the very word church is a translation of Greek, ecclesia. It means those who were drafted. Those who were called by God into a gathering of people. You were chosen by God for something. And it was not to rest. It was to fight. If He needed somebody simply to lay on their backside in warm pews, He certainly would have sent us to Sugarland to start a new church. I imagine that particular job description is pretty well filled already. Think about it, saints. With deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy. How do you put severe suffering and joy in the same sentence? You do it when people are really Christians. Severe suffering and yet joyful. Sounds a lot like hard-pressed, but not crushed, doesn't it? Sounds like you're carrying around the death of the Messiah in you while giving life to others, doesn't it? It's amazing how the scarlet thread goes all the way through the Scripture. With the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all believers... What is a model to all believers? When you realize you were chosen by God. And severe trials bring you great joy. You were made for battle. You know, the second time that Joshua appears in the Bible, it says Joshua fought, right? Joshua chooses men, then Joshua fights. 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared. The reason He appeared. Wouldn't that be nice to know? Oh, He appeared to save me. That's not what 1 John 3.8 says. Oh, He appeared to love me, make me feel good, give me things. Santa Claus gospel. None of those things are true. Why did He appear? To destroy the devil's work. If you didn't know that Scripture already, write it down. 1 John 3.8 The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. This is said in context of 1 John saying, Hey, 
but you don't continue to sin. If you sin habitually, you're not of God. <laughs> Boy, we've worked to retranslate that, hadn't we? He said, but if you do what is right, you're born of God. Saints, don't rest. Don't rest. Fight to do the will of God. And you are born of God. 1 John 3 eight says the reason He showed up on the scene was to destroy the devil's work. The devil's looking for a chance to destroy you. He's looking for people that don't know what they have. That don't understand the high calling to which you've been called. He's looking for people that he can easily defeat. He's not in it for the struggle. He's looking for somebody that he can humiliate before all of the heavenly powers. And he does it every week. He does it every day. You know, when we sold security systems, I think I've sold almost everything. That already encouraged you, Gabriel. Craig, Nick, church full of salesmen. When I sold security systems, we could not make a house something that a jewel thief couldn't break into. We just couldn't do it. Y'all watch all the movies. There's a way around anything that you could think of. That wasn't even our goal. Our goal was to make the house less appealing for attack. To make them choose some easier target. Saints, the enemy is examining you. He's examining you all of the time to find out whether you're easy or hard. You decide which it's going to be. Are you going to be a pawn and a puppet? Are you going to be the man of God and the woman of God that you're called to be, unyielding to the enemy? Do you understand? Amen. Let's move on. I believe you all got that. Turn with me to Hebrews 2 real quick. I want to talk to you about this awesome Messiah we have. Keep your finger in Exodus 16. Nothing else. You learn where all the books are in this church, huh? Woo! Listen to that girl. She beat you, David. Hebrews 2. Choose some men and go out and fight. Tell me, y'all in Hebrews 2.14? Amen. If you're in the Thompson chain, it's page 1331. If you're not, (laughs) you'll either buy a new Bible or learn where the books are. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. There is no kind of fatigue, no tiring. There is nothing that you experience in your flesh that he didn't experience. He did that to live as an example for you. He was discouraged, not that he received the discouragement, people discouraged him on a regular basis. Hey, Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. You tell that fox I'll press on today and tomorrow and the third day until I reach my goal. There's only so many hours of daylight when we can work. That was Jesus' attitude. We put it on the wall over there. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen to Him there. He shared in our humanity. He understands your weakness. And yet, what did Isaiah 40 say? He will give strength to those who are weary. He will give power to those who are weak. He's looking... He's looking for the opportunity. In the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, it says that the eyes of the Lord range the earth, seeking those who He might strengthen, whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Where do you find strength? It's not in nursemaiding your pillow. It's not in just getting one more meal. Why do you think the story Esau is in the Bible? Hmm. Somebody who chose what is carnal over what is spiritual. Saints. We're called to such more than that. Watch this. Destroy the power of the, the death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery to their fear of death. For surely it is not angels He helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason He had to be made like His brothers in every way in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that He might make atonement for the sins of His people. When you're weak, He will make you stronger. He's merciful in every way. He's not unaware of what you need. Because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the high priest and apostle whom we confess. 
Saints, when you're tired, you have to learn to sink right into Jesus. I tell myself all the time, I'm too tired to exercise. People that I work with in the fitness arena and realm say that you have to learn to teach yourself that you're too tired not to exercise. You get the same endorphin release. You get the same energy from exercising that you do from eating a bowl of ice cream. One is just so much easier. And why do I choose one over the other consistently? Because I just want to rest. Well, when you do that, it has certain results. <laughs> just does. Spiritually is no different, saints. Spiritually it is no different. You continually fold your hands and rest and don't do the hard things. It has certain results. And I've walked in this long enough to watch people fail and continue to fail. Make no progress in ten years in Christianity. How sad is that? You know? How sad is that? You know where it starts? Doing what is hard. Right? I want to tell you, I am encouraged with this group. There was a time I would stand up and say that, <laughs> and I could put a spotlight on people. So, you know... I'm not talking about anybody, but you might listen to this. <laughs> right? Bully pulpit. Now I am seeing in our church continual progress in everybody. And more than that, it doesn't have to be jugged all the time. It doesn't have to be spurred on. I'm hearing testimonies. I could have done this. I was in the hospital, but I wanted to get to church. You know? Not only is that encouraging to me, but I want you to get this. Ten years from now, that tiny seed will have become something that provides shade for all of God's people. Do you know how I know that? Because that is my life. That is Matthew's life. When we were just kids, we gave up everything we had for the gospel, whether it was family relations, friendships, whatever it was. And God has caused our lives to blossom into something that will benefit other people. It comes from doing what is hard. Let's suppose, though, we're already at Rephidim. Too late. We're already there. The Amalekites came. This is 17, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men. Go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. What was the staff? Those righteous deeds of faith. The very thing that the law was supposed to yield and point to but fell short because of human weakness. I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. As long as Moses stood in this position with the object that represented faith and deeds and the righteous requirements of the law, as long as that was held before God, they had success in battle. But when he grew weary and he dropped those righteous standards down by his waist, they began to lose. So they did something. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone. Wow, we just read about a stone, hadn't we? A stone that water came out of? That stone, Paul said, was Jesus. They took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady, steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. David, write on the board number three, Joshua overcame. I want you to get this picture though. Moses is on top of a hill. He's holding up the righteous requirements of the law. Moses represents the embodiment of the law. When the law is functioning properly, it shows us a life full of faith and faithful deeds, something that God can bless, the miraculous. But because of human weakness, Moses' weakness, he would grow tired and his arms would drop. So we took a stone that is like Jesus, an immovable object that perfectly supported the law in every way. Jesus carried it out perfectly and we set Moses on it. Something to give strength to the human weakness so that the object of the law, those faithful deeds, was held up to God. The law was firmly seated on Christ. 
And yet, even that was not enough because human weakness is great. Who was on his left and his right? Aaron and her. Her is the husband of Miriam, more than likely. A man of stature in the community. But what's better than that is he's a descendant of Judah, the tribe full of the worship team, the people who praise. His very name means noble. Somebody who understood his heavenly calling, was called to praise, propped up one side of Moses' arm to give him strength in his human weakness. Praise will pull you out, saints. That's what I was telling you before church about worship. On the other side was the priesthood, Aaron, propping up his other arm. When we stand before God trying to hold up the deeds of faith firmly seated on Christ, what we need to surround our left and right side is that heavenly calling, that priesthood that you were chosen in an attitude of praise and you will have strength to win in the battle. Joshua shows up in point number one. He chooses men. That was you. In point number two, he goes out to fight. You're supposed to be fighting with him. Point number three, Joshua overcame. When Moses, the law, was firmly seated on the life of Christ, the rock, and his deeds were held up, those faithful deeds, supported by praise and a priestly calling. Saints, these things are in the Bible as examples so that we don't set our hearts on evil, so that we will succeed. God wants to renew our strength. He wants us to win. I told you on Wednesday night, and I wanted so badly for you to get this in you, that there were three mighty men with three principles about their lives that would encourage you in how to walk in the anointing. I'm going to give you those again in a minute. But first turn to Revelation 3. I want to talk to you about overcame. Joshua overcame. Is it important to be propped up on one side with praise? on the other side with a heavenly priestly calling? Is it important to not grow tired and to hold up your righteous deeds before God prompted by faith? Is that important? Well, it's what the battle hinges upon. That's what that story is trying to teach you. Here's the promise. In Revelation 3, look at the 21st verse. To him who overcomes... What did Joshua do? He overcame... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It is only to those that can put this in practice in their life that get to sit on thrones in the heavenly realms. You have to do the will of the Father. That very staff is your life's deeds. It's your fruit. And it's got to be held up before God. And the way that you get it there is by surrounding yourself with the knowledge of your calling that you were chosen by being surrounded by praise, propped up on Jesus, watching His life as an example. It will overcome your human weakness. It will renew your strength. In Revelation 12, this is speaking about this as if it had already occurred. And listen... In Revelation 12, watch this. Starting in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. We're talking about a day when the power behind Amalek has fallen. And when is that day? Bible prophecy teachers put this in the future. Saints, Colossians 1.22 says, you stand before God right now free from accusation. This scene, when the authority of the Christ was recognized, when the kingdom of God was being ushered into the earth, happened at the cross. But I don't want to argue about that today. There is a point in history when Amalek is overcome. And it's supposed to start the moment He chose you. The moment that Jesus chose you. He showed up to destroy the devil's work and He drafted you. Now it's time to overcome. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word 
of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb is what the priesthood would apply. It's that knowledge that your sins have been atoned for, that you've been chosen. The word of your testimony is what is supposed to encourage you. It's supposed to be that thing right there that you can praise Him for. Thank you, mighty God, that in 1993, I was in jail spiritually and you set me free. Thank you, mighty God, that in 1994, I had made a mess of my life and you brought me out. Thank you, God, that last week, I messed this up bigger than day and you fixed it. This is supposed to prop you up before God. This is what causes you to overcome. Saints, we have to learn to dwell on what is good. Like Hebrews 2 said, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not for Him to do it for you. He chose you to do something. To go fight. If you're sitting back waiting for Him to do it all, you've mistaken how this works. You've mistaken it. He's drafted you to be a part of His body. Not to rest at Rephidim. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 22 too. There. Come on, cast beat, y'all. Been there. You think Amalek didn't have a prominent place in the Bible? Moses and Joshua dealt with it. Left-handed assassin named Ehud killed an Amalekite king named Eglon. Gideon dealt with him, right? Gideon, who had 30,000 men, whittled it down to 300, right? Choosing the ones who were not scared choosing the ones who would not feed their flesh beyond the battle. You remember how they lapped up water so they could look and see what was happening? Their flesh was secondary to the purpose for which they were called. Saul. Saul didn't do good with this. There was an Amalekite king named Agag. God said, kill him. Saul said, I'd kind of like to keep him. He's useful. That's what we do every time we sin, friends. Keeping Amalek alive. David dealt with him, started to put him to death. Amalekites, every length of cord. He'd lay them out and measure it and go, oh, we'll kill every third one. How about that? It wasn't until Hezekiah's day that the Amalekites were blotted out. There is a day coming when the kingdom of God will be established on earth in a very literal sense, no longer just in your hearts, no longer just in your actions, but physically enforced on the earth. And no Amalekite will be allowed in it. Judgment's supposed to begin with the house of God now, though. You better put whatever belongs to Amalek to death in your life. Amen? Y'all in First Samuel 22? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. there. <laughs> mm. All those... There. Wow. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. Saints, I the other day was talking about somebody who had some godly actions. But the godly actions were born out of tremendous adversity. In other words, they had no choice but to try God. Everything else seemed to have failed. And my very first thought was kind of like, yeah, well, finally they got it right, you know? <laughs> right? Like jailhouse religion. They only cried out to God because they were in jail. Then I remembered, is there any other kind? If you've ever been critical of jailhouse religion, I want you to understand something. There is no other kind. The ones that are drawn to the king are the ones that had problems only the king could fix. Otherwise, you're a god to yourself. I came to a place in my life, and you did too, when you were discontented and indebted, and you cried out, Help! And you know what? That happened to be the time that the king showed up to choose some men because he was going out to fight. And your testimony is what he did in you, and it overcomes the world. David drew to him these men, some from his family. Boy, that was encouraging. <laughs> When you have a church that is based upon a couple families and grows from there, the early church did too. The leaven has to start somewhere and work through the loaf. Amen? David drew people to himself. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 23. By the way, 2 Samuel 22 is the story of David 
descending to a low place and being raised to a high place. And it is the same story as Jesus. I mean, identical. But in the 23rd chapter, and I know I discussed some of this Wednesday night, but I want you all to hear it again one more time. In the 23rd chapter, we find some of those discontented, indebted people that were chosen by the king. These are the names, this is verse 8, of David's mighty fighting men. Jasheb, a Tekamite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. I would say that is not bad for an indebted, discontented person. But don't forget something. He brought all of those problems to his king and volunteered to fight in the king's service. He exchanged his troubles for a life as a soldier in the king's army under the king's provision. And so he found greatness, saints. Do you remember what Jasheb's name meant? He who sits in the council of God to be drafted to be chosen, to understand your priesthood calling is to sit in the council room with God. And when you do that, Amalek does not seem too big for you. In fact, the odds that are 800 to 1 are really no problem. You're willing to fight. Look at the second guy. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. When you are in Rephidim, when you are tired, the only way out, the only way to persevere is to have your strength renewed by clinging to the Word of God. And then you will win, saints. Even youths grow weary and stumble and fall. But the Lord is looking for weary people to strengthen them. Looking for weak people to increase their power. When you hope in the Lord, you will be renewed. Even your very hopes will be renewed. It's not wrong to get tired. It's wrong to seek vacation from the battle in your weariness. It's wrong just to stay in bed when you could be fed. It is wrong to stay home when the kings go off to war. Wow, there's a scripture. It is wrong to take vacation from your faith for a moment. To lose your religion and say what you really wanted to say. It takes work to restrain the flesh, but this is what makes you a chosen man. This is what makes you a member of the king's army. And in the end, it's what causes you to overcome. And it's only he who overcomes who sits on that throne. Do you understand? You're called to be just like Jesus and he did all of these things. The devil came to him on the 40th day of a fast and couldn't whip him then at the weakest point in human existence. I just want to be like my king. I've got to read about Shama just for fun. The 11th verse. Next to him was Shama, son of Agi, from College Station. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shama took his stand in the middle of a field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. Stand your ground fighting with the enemy. Find out what you are supposed to do. And if you need Aaron and her to prop you up, cry for help. If you need a bigger rock to sit on, then find a bigger rock. But stand your ground in the middle of the field. Your edification, your being fed, you surviving depends upon it. Shammah defended this field because it was a food source for his people. A field of lentils. And he refused to be moved from it. Shammah's name means fame and astonishment. Do you notice in each one of these stories what makes these guys mighty men? Is that everybody else ran. They took a vacation from the battle. They were looking for a place to rest. They were weary. But these guys, in their weariness, clung to what God told them to do. 
and saw victory. The difference between those who succeed in the kingdom and those who fail is what happens at Rephidim. In football, they say the fourth quarter makes the difference. The conditioning, all of those things. I don't know if that's true. I was in the best shape of my life when we went 0-10, Matt. (laughs) But I do know this. Spiritually, it is absolutely true. What you do in those little things when you're tired makes all the difference in your life. Uh, I want to close here, but I want to tell you one more story. I think I've got probably a couple minutes to do that. In 2 Kings 3, there's a story about Israel battling with Moab. And God told them all that they would accomplish. They're going to shut up every well. They're going to tear up every field. They're going to kill all of the Moabites. They're going to take this territory, the next territory, and the one after that. All of this good stuff. And it had been prophesied. And Elijah prophesied while worshiping about this and told them all that would happen. And they set out and they started to do it. And the Word says in order all the things that they were going to do, shutting up wells, rocking up the fields, killing all the Moabites, was happening. But then the Moabites took a stronger stand. And the fury against Israel was great. In fact, the king of Moab took his firstborn son, put him on a city wall, and sacrificed him to their gods. And the fury against Israel was so great, they did something. They gave up. And all the things that God said would happen didn't happen. Elijah prophesied it. It was written in the Word. It should be something that is going to occur. And what kept it from occurring? People quit. The people gave up. I wonder what mighty miracles God had desired to do in our lives that we quit on Him in. But I want to encourage you about something. The God we serve is merciful. And He will give you another shot question is, will you quit on him again? See, my favorite story about athletics. Turn with me to Galatians 6. This is the last scripture we read and we close. My favorite story about athletics is what a very accomplished collegiate athlete and coach told me. During the time when everybody was reliving their armchair quarterback experiences, telling their kids how great they were and how nobody could run a football like them and if it hadn't been for that mysterious injury, they would be in the NFL today. Right? You've heard those stories, haven't you? No, I'm the only one that's ever heard those stories. Everybody that you meet, right? It was some mysterious injury that kept them from becoming Joe Namath, right? If it hadn't been for that, you know what my injury was? I couldn't run out of sight in two weeks. That was my injury. Nobody ever says, you know, I just wasn't any good. But anyway, that's another story. I was speaking with a college athlete who had become a college coach and a man that I admired. And I was asking him about his athletic career. Four-year All-American, name in the newspapers, everywhere we went, everybody knew him. And he said, what athletics taught me was not how great I am. It taught me all of the things that I'm not. I remember every moment that I lined up against the enemy and I wanted to quit. I didn't want to go one more play. It put me firmly in touch with my weaknesses. Saints, this kind of message is intended to do just that and not to discourage you. You're already succeeding. This is supposed to cause you to line up against the Word and go, wow, I lack in this area. Sometimes when I should stand up, I quit. Sometimes when I should praise, I groan. Sometimes when I should focus on my heavenly calling, I get focused on the details. Sometimes when I should lift up that righteous standard to God and ask Him to bless it, I let my hands fall and it shows by the corners of my mouth. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty hard to say you're holding up the righteous life of God while frowning. That's a glaring contradiction. Galatians 6 is about the best encouragement I could find in all of this. So in Galatians 6, we close with these words. As soon as I can find them. Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Saints, when we leave here today, when we leave this place, decide that you will not surrender to the enemies of God that are waiting in the valley to destroy you, that are looking for a chance for you just to want to indulge the flesh and complain and rest a little bit. Decide today that at all costs you'll be with Joshua as a chosen man fighting in the valley and at the end of the day you'll be said to be somebody who overcame. And then do it. You're doing so good in so many areas and I am proud. I am proud, proud, proud as a pastor. I sat this morning with Matthew and we began to recount some of it and it excites me. We're making progress. We tell you all of these things so that we can do it in increasing measure. Now is not the time to let up. It's the time to pour it on. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Let's pray.